I want to give you this message this morning. I've entitled The Improbable Imposter. The Improbable Imposter. An imposter is one who practices deception under an assumed character, identity, and often name. There have been five or six great imposters of the world. You'll remember the name Ponzi, the Ponzi system. He was an imposter. He took billions of dollars of people hard-earned money and ran off with it. An imposter adapts to and acts so convincingly like someone else that even they start believing the lie themselves. I want to show you this morning two seemingly improbable, improbable imposters. You, you wouldn't think they'd be imposters. How, how could they be imposters? I'm going to show you two of those. One you'll probably know very well, and, and I've already picked up on in our scripture reading this morning. The other may be quite a shock to you who that might be. First, we find in our opening, the first is found in John chapter 13. Let's look again quickly at verses 21 to 30. It said, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. We'll stop there for just a second. Can you imagine betraying Jesus Christ? Imagine someone who walked with him and talked with him and saw him. I don't know if you've watched, and, and maybe don't agree, but I've been watching the Chosen series. Incredible adaptation of the scriptures. And, it, of course, they take great uh, artistic um, liberty in some things, but I, I kind of love some of the angles that they show. And, and I just love the life of Jesus Christ. And it's not all I'd like it to be, but it's some interesting things. And so I've been following that a little bit. And, and, and they just introduced the character Judas not long ago. And, and to think that there was somebody that, that walked and talked with him that would betray him. And Jesus is identifying here to the disciples that that time is coming. He says in verse 22, Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. He started looking at each other. Is it, is it you? Is it me? Who is it? They didn't know. They couldn't figure it out, who it might be. 23 says, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. We know who that is, don't we? It's identi not identified, but we know in the writings of John that that's John the Beloved. It says, Simon Peter therefore beckoned on him, unto him that he should ask who it is. I'm sorry. Let me go back. I messed up. Beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second and tell you that when we read the Bible, we often read it in Westerners' mind. When we think of this, we think of it as sitting down to the table with our family, but that's not the way it is. I've been to Israel 11 times. I'm going to show you some things this morning. I've learned some things in taking those travels. And so they're sitting together. He says, it's whoever I give this sop to that I've dipped. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to, say the name with me, Judas Iscariot. Now he uses both names because he wants to clearly identify who this is. It's not just any Judas because Judas was a popular name in the day. Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Let's make it very clear. This is Simon's boy. Can you imagine being Simon? And when this all went down, being that man, the son who betrayed Jesus Christ, oh my. After the stop in verse 27, Satan entered into him and said, Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. Now, no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. That amazes me. That amazes me. That, that confounds me. 
Verse 29. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Judas had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor, which was a natural thing to do in the time of the Passover feast, the tabernacle. Verse 30. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Wow. I've never known anyone named Jesus or Judas, have you? No one ever named Judas. I, I, not even of the unsaved world do they name their children Judas. I've never had anybody who's named their dog Judas. I, I've had some dogs that I thought were Judas, but we don't use that name. We don't use it because it's synonymous with being a treacherous imposter. Yet to those around him, closest to him, they thought he was an improbable imposter. It couldn't be Judas. Jesus said, we're going to give this up to That's what's going to betray me. He gives this up to Judas, and they think, oh, he's going to get bread. He's going to get more to drink. He's going out to give something to the poor. But he wasn't. He's going out to betray Jesus just as he said he would. Why? Why did the disciples not pick up on it? How did they not get that? How is it that he was so improbable as an imposter? I want to show you why I think that was. Number one, he was seemingly very close to Christ. I'm going to do something. I'm going to take you to Israel with me. If you've never been, I would love to take you to Israel with me. I go every February. Uh, February 6th to the 16th next year we'll go. If you'd like to go, let me know. I'd love to take you with us. And uh, I'm going to go for the 12th time. Every time I go, I learn something new. Every time I go, I see something new. Every time I go, I try to taste something new. And I have seen the Bible go from black and white to color. I can hear, I can smell, I can taste, I can touch Israel. I'm there now. I'm in an upper room that they uh, will take you to and show you. It's not the upper room, but it's very similar to what it would have been. There are a lot of places in Israel where we go, and uh, Jesus was in that area, but he may not have stood right there. And I'm in that upper room, and I see the setting. I'm in the Sea of Galilee. I can see the water. I can see the Golan Heights. I'm down at Caiaphas' house, and I'm seeing where Jesus was held in that dungeon area. I'm at Calvary, and I can see the face of the skull. I'm at the empty tomb, and I can see clearly. Would you go to Israel with me this morning? I'm going to do this. When I went to Israel, I learned something at a mealtime. I had a great guide. His name was Salah Siam. He's an Arab of all things. He's a Muslim Arab of all things, and he was one of the best guys I've ever had in Israel. He knew the Bible. He knew how to expound the Bible. He was amazing. He wasn't saved. I begged him to get saved. Many preachers have begged him to get saved, but he hasn't done it because he'd have to turn away from his family and friends, and he couldn't give that up, as we heard in our Sunday school lesson this morning. And uh, so we travel in Israel, and when we do, the group goes to a, a restaurant in the afternoon, and we have lunch if you want it, and, and a lot of people try the local cuisine, a lot of shawarma, a lot of falafel, you know, fish, all those different things. They have great food there. You have a buffet breakfast and a buffet supper. I don't usually get lunch because I'm so full, but one day he said, don't eat breakfast. I want to I give you lunch. And I said, okay. And so uh, oftentimes I would sit with our group and, and I would see our guide and our bus driver go off into another part of the restaurant and they usually separate from the group and they talk to their friends there and they can speak Arabic and all that. And so one day he said, I want you to come with me and I want you to see something. I want to teach you something. I said, great. So we went back into that back room with them. 
and uh, he said, I want, to, I want you to observe something. And so they brought uh, a uh, lunch out for us. And I want to kind of simulate that and show you something. I'm going to get a pastor to come if you would. And, Sir, if you'd come and help me this morning, you don't have to say anything, just come if you would. And uh, I, I'm going to get uh, Brother Mike to come. Brother Craig, would you come and help me? My guys over here, would you come and help me? Come up here. And Pastor, I'm going to just stand right here in the middle if you would. And so I'll have you stand over here on the end. If you would, and I'll get, uh, uh, let's put Craig right here. Brother Mike, you come over here if you would. Guys, come on over. I'll get uh, two of you to stand here. And, uh, tall young man, come down. Let's, th- let's take this guy right here. Come on down here. You're going to stand right there. All right. Uh, this is James, and you're James the Lesser. Okay, there you go. Uh, what's your name, sir? Billy. Billy? And what do you do for a living, Billy? I'm a lineman. A lineman for the county? Yeah. Wow. Yes, yeah. There's a song that goes with that, okay? Uh, he's a lineman for, no, it's a different That's tonight. So you just stand there and put them up like that. You're tall enough. You just put them up and play. You don't even need to lift, all right? You're going to be James, James the Lesser. And uh, we have the other disciples here. We're not, you know, we don't have them all, but I want to identify. So here's the Last Supper. So this, this guide is now going to help me with the Last Supper. And he's going to help me identify what happens there because he said, you Westerners, you, you, you don't know what happens. And I said, okay. So he said, now, uh, the disciples are there. Now, in the Eastern culture, it's usually a round table. It's not square like we have. Because at a round table, everybody gets to kind of see everybody. They like that intimacy. And a lot of times, they're sitting on the ground. We're not going to sit today, but they would, they would sit on the ground, and they would recline back. Now, here's what he wanted to teach me. He said, uh, I'm going to show you how this works. And so he said, okay, we're ready for the meal. So the guys came out, and they brought out warm pita bread right out of the stone oven. It was awesome. It was so good. Big old pita bread. He brought it out, and he sat it right in front of Salah. Now, on the side was myself, and I have another pastor in Canada who travels with me and does the trips. His name is Brother Brett Pennell, and Brother Brett's on the other side. He brings it out, he sits it here. Now, there was a bus driver and another guy over here, and there was a couple guys over here, and they brought bread out for them and sat it there. But in the middle, he gave it to Sly, gave it to him first. He then brought out some of the most delicious hummus I've ever had in my life ground chickpeas and olive oil, and you take and you mix the oil in with it. You know, it's got a little bit of garlic and stuff. Oh, it's so good. And they brought out some tabbouleh and put that out there, and that's kind of a a vegetable kind of uh, mixture. And they brought out um, vegetables that had been uh, 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 barbecued, you know. It's almost lunchtime, right? And uh, it's so good. Man, we brought that out, gave it to him. And then he took and he offered us the bread on each side. Then he took and he gave uh, some drink to us, and some meat came out. They did some shish kebabs. They brought that out, some lamb shish kebabs, and boy, it was so good. And he gave, and he said, now here's, here's what happens. He said, they brought it out to me because I'm the head of the table. I, I'm the boss today. I, I'm, I'm the master as it was. He said, and you'll notice that uh, within our reach is all that we need, and over here within their reach is all that they need. Because in the culture of Israel, it's rude to reach across someone. You don't do that. We, we do it, you know, in the family-style uh, lunch that you may have this afternoon. There'll be people reaching all over the table. You know, the, 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 the reach. You don't do that. And so we shared those three. In, the, in this story of Jesus and the disciples, 
We see the disciples, and we know that on the right hand of Jesus is the beloved, is John. And in the story, we are Peter, so we assume that Peter's over here. They're talking together. They're close together, and maybe it could have been across the table, but we assume in that picture because they're close. You know that Peter and John were very close to Jesus. James and John were close, so this is the picture. And so we start talking about Jesus, and Jesus gets the bread, and he's talking, and he says, I'm going to give this to someone. And whoever I give it to is going to betray me. And I don't know about you, but I always think that Judas is, you know, down the table there and, or maybe across the table away from Jesus. He's, that scoundrel's not going to be with Jesus, but that's not what happens at all. Because in this cultural picture, we find out this is John who loves Jesus and has his, breath, his head on Jesus' breast. <laughs> wow. That was a little too long, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) And we see in the conversation that Jesus says, someone's going to betray me. And Peter says, John, ask him who it is. Now, it wouldn't make sense that this is Peter to say, hey, John, ask him who it is. Doesn't make sense. Even behind him, John, ask him who it was. He already hears, right? So we can then deduce from several things that this is not Peter. This is, in a proper character role, Judas, the betrayer, (laughs) right next to the master, the right hand, as it were, of the master, Judas. We have John, we have Jesus, Jesus, we have Judas. And Jesus says, to whoever I give this sop, whoever I take this bread and dip it into this hummus or dip it into this olive oil and give it to, that's who's going to betray me. And because Jesus knew it was coming, he had the man with the money, he had the man with the power and authority sit next to him, and he took it, and in proper culture, gave it to Judas. See, the men wouldn't have thought of Judas because that's the way it is. Whoever I give this to, well, that's just polite. That's just kind. That's how you do it. They don't think. Judas then gets up and he leaves the table. And they think, well, he's just going to get some more bread. He's the guy with the wallet. He's the guy with the purse. He's the guy with the money. And they start asking themselves, is it I? Is it I, Lord? Is it me? They can't figure it out. Even with this guy right here who he said I give the sop to, because in that culture, in that picture, we don't clearly see that. But we see it later, don't we? Gentlemen, you can be seated. Judas was so seemingly close to Jesus. He was in the inner circle of the disciples. They trusted him. I believe, and and I think you can see it, uh, the disciples did not travel by themselves all the time. If I'm a married man and I have a wife and children, I don't take off three years and say, honey, I'll be back in three years. I'm following Jesus. No, if I'm going to the Galilean region, and it's not super big, I'm going to say, honey, Pack up the kids. We're going over here to, to Tiberias. Or we're going to Magdala. And we pack up and we take the tent, we take the food, and we travel together because we're following Jesus. And so those, those people uh, commune together. And in Israel, uh, they have uh, uh, an organization there that's been around for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. They have a farming community there. And, and they pull all their resources together. And they use that money source to farm. It's very communistic, but it works. 
And so it's called a kibbutz. And you'll see them all over Israel. They're, they're, the food there is phenomenal at kibbutz. And many of them will have lodging areas. They're not quite as nice as the others, but the food is great. And so here's this kibbutz of Christians. They're following Jesus, and they give to one man the money because it's hard to have people, you know, they're out doing stuff, and I need some money. So this guy, Judas, stays close to Jesus, and when they need money to go get something, they get it from Judas. Imagine trusting somebody with all of your money. Not many of us do that, but they gave it to Judas. He carried the bag. He had the resources. So close was the seeming relationship that no one even picked up on it to the open and obvious identification sign of passing the sop. It can't be Judas. He's leaving to pay for something or give some money to the poor. He's a great guy. He's trying to help somebody out who's down and out. And we'll see that he had talked about that previously in just a moment. But in reality, he goes to sell out Christ while selling himself out to the devil. Sometimes improbable people will think, we are think are with Christ, who are saved are just imposters. You've known people in your life that you thought were born again. You thought they'd given their life to Christ. But you see, uh, maybe very early on or later in life, that they don't follow Jesus Christ. They're not a true believer of Jesus Christ. And it breaks our heart. And as a pastor, to have somebody come and give their life, and you think they're saved and they don't, it's, it's devastating. Judas is one of those. Everybody thought he's born again, he's trusted Christ, he knows he's the Messiah, he's following, but he had not done that. He's an imposter. Are you a true follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you an imposter? Are you here today letting people think that you have accepted Christ as your Savior? You've come to church maybe for a number of weeks or months, and, 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 and you've sung the songs, and you, you've shaken hands with people, and you've been money in the offering plate and, and, and everything looks great and, and, and nobody's really bothering you, but you're not saved. You know you're not saved. You hear the preacher talking about being saved and you think, well, I, I don't really need to do anything because everybody thinks I'm okay anyways. But that's not salvation. That's not eternal life. That's, be, that's not being born again. Judas was an imposter. Maybe today you're that imposter. Thinking you're saved or pretending you're saved. And then we see the improbable imposture that he was seemingly very concerned for the cause. Let's go back just a little bit to John chapter 12, just a page back. John chapter 12. Now this is prior to this, this Last Supper, but it gives us an indication. It should have been a red flag for the disciples. In John chapter 12, verses 3 to 7, it says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of ointment. Let me stop there for just a moment. Well, let me ask a couple. Uh, we have a couple over here that are married. Uh, what are your names, folks? What are your names? Bobby and Sonia. Sonia, you love Bobby? How long have you been married? 32 years. Long time. You love your husband very much. Have you ever watched, washed Bobby's feet for him? All the time. <laughs> Imposter. <laughs> have you ever touched those dirty, rotten, stinking feet with your hands? And wash them. Massaged. Massaged. God bless you. <laughs> Honey, I want you to meet Sonia. <laughs> no, no. Have you ever washed, massaged his feet with your hair? No. No. I don't think there's a woman in here that wants to take her beautiful hair and put it on your husband's stinky, rotten feet. This woman washes the feet of Jesus with a very costly ointment with her hair. Man, she must have loved him. 
Man, she must have adored him. Not, not in a, a goofy, sensual way, but she just, she just knew that he was the Savior. She knew what he had done in her life. She had been possessed, and God had freed her from that. And She was so thankful that she does this. What a wonderful picture of the love of Jesus and those who love him. It goes on to say this, Then saith one of his disciples, what's the name? Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, so we're clear who it is, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? You can almost hear his tone. Why are we wasting this valuable ointment? We could sell this and put 300 pence in our pockets and, and, and be the better off for it, and, and, and then we could do something really good. We could give it to the poor. Hmm. Right? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. And Jesus said, let her alone against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. She knew that he was going to die. She knew he was going to be buried. She couldn't wait. She wanted to perfume him now. And Judas, it should have been a red flag to the disciples, says, why are we wasting this money? Wasting it, it's on Jesus. It's on the feet of Jesus, our Savior. I want to give it to the poor. No, he didn't. He wanted to give it to himself. He wanted to slip it when they weren't looking into the other pocket and keep it for himself. Even before the Passover, this should have been a pretty telling tale. Here, revealed to us is the, the real Judas in verse 6. Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Shouldn't we be helping? Helping the poor, a.k.a. helping me? Ever know anyone who seemed to want to help others, but in reality, they're an imposter? Caring only about themselves and their own prosperity and well-being? I've known people like that. They, once you find it out, it's detestable to think that they're like that. I've seen people in big corporations. I've seen people who are head of you know, feeding the children or, or the Red Cross or something like that kind of organization that, that really need to help people. They make millions and millions and millions of dollars and, and, and think nothing of it. And, and many of them will maybe even try to uh, uh, take even more of that for themselves. It's, it's deplorable. And, and this is what Judas is doing because he was seemingly very concerned for the cause. His care was not for the poor of the disciples, nor for Christ, but for himself alone. He said, I'll play the game. I'll put on what I have to, but as soon as I get the chance, I will satisfy and gratify my longings and myself. I've seen it way too much in youth groups, in Christian schools, and Bible colleges and churches, where people will do that to gain for themselves. And then finally, we see this improbable imposter that he was... Seemingly very careful not to get caught. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Verses 47 to 50. We are now after the Last Supper. The disciples have gone out to the Mount of Olives. They've been there many times. There are still olive trees there that are between 2,500 and 3,000 years old. Quite possibly, we're standing in the very spot where Jesus Christ was when he prayed. There's a rock there that they've built a Catholic church over top that they believe is maybe where Jesus went to pray. We don't know. But somewhere in that area, and I've prayed on that mount. I've, it's amazing to look at the Eastern Gate and pray. Praise the family. He's gone out to pray. And we see in verse 47, 
And while he yet spoke, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests, the elders of the people, not the Romans, the Jews. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whosoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. We know that to be Peter. Judas says, come on, we're going to get Jesus. And he said, bring some soldiers because I know at least one of the 11 has a sword and it might get ugly. That Peter's a tough guy and he's got a hot temper. And so here comes that band of soldiers and Judas says, I will give him who I want you to take the kiss, as we now know it, the kiss of death. And he comes and he does what they do in Israel, the, the Arabs especially, they kiss each other. When they greet, they usually kiss three times. The men will kiss each other. And Pastor, I'm not going to demonstrate that closely today. But I would kiss you on the left, mwah, mwah, mwah. And we'd slap hands together. That's the greeting. Judas comes and does this, and Jesus says, friend. Now, that word friend does not mean a close, intimate friend. It just means I know you. I know you. And they take Jesus, they seize him, and Peter draws that sword, and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus. Now, let me ask you something. Knowing now what the disciples know, they go back to the ointment, they go back to Jesus got the sop, uh, to Judas. Judas leaves the table. Now he comes with a band of soldiers. He kisses Jesus. They seize him. They obviously know that has been the betrayal mark. And Peter takes his sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. Let me ask you guys, wouldn't it make more sense, now knowing what Judas has done, that Peter would have taken the sword and run it through Judas? But he didn't. Do you know why? He still didn't get it. He still didn't get it. Not until they found the hanged body of Judas who had committed suicide, they didn't get it. He was that good. He was that good of an imposter. That's imposter number one. The second imposter may be sitting right beside you today. Look at the person next to you, would you? Look at, look at the people around you. Look behind you. Look down the row there. Look, look at the people around you today. Could it, could it be? Could it be that they're an imposter? Now, I don't want to cause division in the church because I don't think we have to look that far. Could it be today that you're the imposter? Let me ask you, who of the group of 12 and Jesus, who knew that Judas was indeed the imposter? How many people knew? Jesus and Judas. The only two. So in this place today, could it be that some of us know that we're not the Christian we should be. We're not reading our Bible. We're not praying. We're not telling people about Jesus Christ. We're not supportive of the church. We're not paying attention during the preaching. Uh, we're kind of backbiting a little bit, and we're trying to gather people to uh, insurrect against the leadership, and, and we're not giving to God what we're supposed to. We're keeping back a little bit to help the poor. Could it be that maybe we're the imposter today, wanting everyone to think, hey, listen, I love Jesus, and I'm walking with Jesus. I'm sitting right next to Jesus. But in our heart of hearts, we know we're an imposter today. 
We're not what people think. Even as preachers sometimes, we are preachers and everybody thinks, man, what a preacher, he's a great man of God, and he falls into sin. Or a deacon, what a manly God, and a man of God, and he's walking with the Lord, and, and they fall into terrible sin. And we wonder, what happened? Sometimes we're imposters. Sometimes we can live life the way we're supposed to for a long time, and then we get this idea, I can venture off of the path, and I can kind of go this way for a while, and nobody will know, nobody will find out, nobody will get my sin. Nobody knows I'm a liar, nobody knows I'm a cheat, nobody knows I'm a gossip, nobody knows I'm having an affair, nobody knows I'm looking at things I shouldn't, nobody knows. But there are two people that know, you and Jesus. You know that most imposters end up usually in a pretty bad state when they're found out. A lot of them die. Like Judas. Couldn't bear it. Couldn't bear what he'd done. Comes to his senses. Realizes who Jesus really was. Realizes he betrayed him. Kills himself. Maybe there's some here today thinking, I I can't live with myself anymore. I I can't play the game anymore. I just can't do it. I've got to come clean. Well, this morning is your opportunity to do that your opportunity to do that. And say, God, I need to get saved. God, I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I admit I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I can't hide it anymore. You know it and I know it. And that's all that really need to know. Or there's some saying, you know what? I look like such a good teacher. I look like such a good deacon. I look like a good church member, choir member, band player. Man, I look good, but inside I'm no good. I'm so far from God, I'm scared to death. How about today we come and say, I can't play that game anymore. An improbable imposter, but you and I both know that I'm the imposter. 